Oh, welcome. Today, uh, we are talking about relaunching our lives, you know, in this season. You know, we're, we're all kind of in this place of trying to figure out how do we go forward? And I want, I want to encourage you to think about that maybe in a new way today. Um, you know, I, I never forget a moment I had uh, a number of years ago at a gas station not far from here. I'm, I'm on the phone. I'm, I'm, you know, putting gas in my car. And, and I hear this lady start screaming just like all oh, this string of cuss words. And I look over and there's a lady standing by a nice new SUV just berating this looks like about a 12-year-old girl, probably her daughter. I mean, just lighting into her. And I was like, my first thought was, what'd she do, rob the gas station? And I couldn't really pick up because I was on another call, but it seemed like she hadn't gotten the right change. And I watched her go back in the gas station, apparently make it right, come back out to another barrage of you effing this and uh, what am I going to do with you, Lisa? She kept saying that. What am I going to do with you? You're so stupid. Pushes her in the car, drives off before I could ever get off the phone. And I was so troubled by that. Because I was sitting there thinking, what hope is there for that little girl? Right, you know, like, I, and, and I, I imagined that mother probably being berated, uh, abused maybe in the same way. And then what's going to happen? Is that girl just going to grow up and do the same to her child? What's going to stop that cycle? I mean, is the government going to? I mean, they may intervene if it gets horrifically violent, right? But they can't change that mother's heart. Education, can that, can that mom learn enough to grow patience and self-control? No, it's a spiritual problem. And that, that reminded me why we're doing what we're doing. Because the church is the hope of the world when it's working the way God wants it to. And you know, really, the, the hope for that little girl is that someone like you befriends that family and starts to pray for that family and share the love of God with that family and invite them where that little girl maybe could connect in with our volunteers who are loving kids and students well. And she starts to see a new picture of the love of God and her worth and value. And maybe that mom connects in with our restore volunteers who have been healed themselves and are helping others heal. And, and they, that family comes to faith and starts to let God transform them. And they actually become healers who heal others. That's the story we've seen here over and over and over again. It's what God's doing. And that's why the local church functioning as God intends is the hope of the world. But that starts when Christ followers begin to see ourselves differently. You know, it's interesting. I read a, a Forbes magazine article uh, this week about the great resignation. Have you seen this? Forbes said that, that two-thirds of Americans are ready to quit their jobs after COVID. Two-thirds. To do something with, with meaning and, and substance. It, we're, we're trying to relaunch our lives. We're, we're rethinking our lives. But let me just encourage you, before you quit your job, and maybe that's what you need to do, but let's relaunch first with the right priorities. So let me ask you a quick question. And I, I, I don't want you to think hard about this. Okay, just first thought that comes to your mind, just be honest with yourself. But, but answer this question. Okay, if I had all the time in the world, I would blank. I mean, what comes to mind? You know, you have to say it. Just say it to yourself. Sleep all day, 
party like it's 1999, you know, go back and listen to all of John's old sermons. Yeah, be honest. That's probably not what came to mind. All right, next, next question. Just first thing that comes to mind. I will be successful if I, what is it? You know, what, what comes to mind? What defines success? Next question. When I think greatness, I think of blank. Who or what? What's that symbol of what, what, what you're shooting for, for greatness? Now, with those thoughts in mind, hopefully you, you answer them to yourself. How many of us put something about serving others in one of those blanks? Maybe some, but probably not many. Because here's why. Because we get bombarded with a world that tells us fulfillment comes from having power and influence to get others to serve and meet your needs. That's what we get bombarded with all the time. So as we're thinking about relaunching our lives, I want us to learn something really important from Jesus. We're going to look at a time, his last night on earth. It was before his crucifixion. Jesus is up in a second story apartment building, having the Passover meal, his last supper with his closest followers. And he says something that seems like a contradiction in our society's eyes. Look at this. John chapter 13 records it. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, all things, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This says that Jesus knew all power was available to him. I mean, he, he could make anyone do anything, right? He had all power, all authority. And then comes the seemingly insignificant word, so. So what? So knowing that he could have anything or do anything, make anything go his way, what does Jesus do? Demand respect? Demand service? Make people do his will? No, he takes a towel and he takes the posture of a servant. And in that culture, the lowest of servants, the one who washed people's feet. And you know, here's here's the thing. Uh, We also, if we're gonna follow Jesus, have to follow him in taking the posture of a servant. You know, in in that day, just think about what, what this meant. Because, um, you know, they, they all traveled around uh, with, with sandals on. That's why we call them Jesus boots, right? You know, and they, they traveled dirty, dusty roads. So their feet were always dirty and dusty. And, and, and so it was only proper that you wash your feet before you sit down to a meal. It's kind of like if you're working in a garden, you wouldn't go eat a hamburger, right, before washing your hands. Some of you, you're not sure. <laughs> you, you wash your hands. It's proper, right? Same thing here. And Jesus did what the lowest servant, the lowest paid servant in that culture would do. Now think about that. What an incredible mystery. The one who has the power to create billions and billions of galaxies, the one who has the, the power and the prestige and the right to be served and worshiped instead shows the grand reversal of God. 
the humility of God. Jesus came to reveal the heart and character of God. That he uses power to serve rather than be served. So as we relaunch our lives, I want to encourage you to ask a question. How do I see myself? Am I here to be served or am I here to serve? In other words, am I here to scratch and claw and try to prove that I am worth people serving, doing things for to meet my needs? Or have I come to a place where I understand that I'm so loved by God and I am walking with God in a way that his love overflows so that I can love God by actually serving others? That, that that's actually fulfilling to me. Jesus said, follow me, and I will give you an abundant, overflowing life of joy. But why wouldn't we follow him in this area of service? Well, actually, there are lots of reasons. And as we dive into this passage, we're going to look at some of them, because I think relaunching our lives well might mean prioritizing the way we see ourselves. So John 13, Jesus goes on. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, You are not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, you don't now realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus is speaking in metaphor. He's talking about spiritual washing. But Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only their feet to be washed. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, Judas. And that was why he said not every one was clean. A couple things before we dive into this. First, you know, Jesus is saying here, you don't serve to be clean before God. You know, he cleanses you when you trust in him, when you trust in what Jesus did, what he was about to do the next day to pay for all our sins, all our wrongs to make us right with God. You don't have to earn God's love or God's forgiveness by serving or by doing. You just accept it. And that's the posture out of which he wants us to serve. Now, let me address another group of people because some of you hearing this message today, you're already serving. In fact, That's about all you do is serve others and you're gonna feel guilty after hearing this message that you don't serve more. And guess what? This message is not for you. (laughs) The truth is you need to let Jesus wash your feet. You need to let Jesus serve you and, and help you realize you are worthy as well of being served because when we're serving to try to prove we're worth something, to try to get love or to try to, We're serving out of guilt. That's not what God wants for you. Let him serve you. Maybe you need to stop so much serving and let God minister to you and serve you that then you can turn and say yes to some things and no to others, but the things you say yes to are out of love for God because you sense he wants you to serve him in that way. So if you're feeling guilt and you're serving, this message is not for you. Now, That's not most of our problems. (laughs) For many of us, we don't realize that the way we get to love God, the way we show our love for God, is by using what he's given us to serve him by serving others. And and that may require a perspective change. Now, Now, why wouldn't we want to use our gifts and resources and position to help people? Well, 
The same reason that Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet because important people don't serve. That's what we learn in, in the world. That's what Peter learned. It's what we learn as well. That's what was going on with the disciples. So to understand what's happening. So this has been three and a half years of ministry. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to the cross, right? And on the way up, James and John pull Jesus aside and they say, hey, Jesus, we want you to give us the left and right seat in your coming kingdom. Okay, well, here's what they're asking. They think that Jesus is gonna overthrow the Roman government and set up his own government. And they say, we deserve the top two cabinet positions. Okay, that's what they're saying. And the other 10, Jesus, by the way, he says to them, you don't know what you're asking. You wanna be great in my kingdom? Can you follow in my footsteps? And they're like, oh yeah. But he's about to walk up the hill and die. He's gonna serve by laying it all down, right? Can you follow me? Oh yeah, sure. Just make us great. Well, the other 10 catch on to what's going on and they start arguing and demanding that, no, I deserve the best position, not them, I do. And Jesus calls a timeout. He goes, guys, wait. See, that's the way the world does it. They power up over each other. They try to prove their worth to each other, why they deserve the positions and, and, and they lord it over one another, use their power to try to force their will on each other. Not so with you. You wanna be great forever in God's kingdom? Look at what he says, Mark 10. Whoever wants to become great among you must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the servant or the slave of all. For even the son of man himself did not come to be served, but to serve, even to give his life as a ransom for many. But they still don't get it. I mean, this just happened. Now they're coming up into the upper room and, and they, they walk by a wash basin and the towel, but there's, there's no one to wash their feet. Faux pas of all faux pas, it's the Passover and no one has hired the foot washing servant, the lowest of low, the, the least paid. And so they walk right by realizing someone really messed up. We can't have Passover without someone washing our feet, but there's no foot washer. And no one says, Jesus, let me wash your feet much less the others. No, they're still thinking about greatness, but not in God's kingdom. And so that's where we come to Jesus. And Jesus says, important people don't serve unless you're God or unless you really wanna follow God. And see, here's the reality. You're, you're never greater or more important than when you take the towel to serve others. You're never more like God than when you take a towel with the attitude to help and serve others. That's what Jesus was showing us. So if we say, I love God, I follow Jesus, but we do nothing ever to serve others, we're not truly following Jesus. We have to do something even if we're a very important person. You know, we have many very important people here at Gateway who do. You know, I think uh, of Wayne Wiedemeyer, who's, who's, he was the head for years of the whole University of Texas telecom system. That's, he, was the, he was the power above all, 
right? And yet every Sunday you would see Wayne down on his knees over in our kids' building, uh, building into elementary age boys. And that is greatness in God's kingdom. I'll never forget when Wayne, uh, who's also one of our board members, came to a, a board meeting and shared with us about how that Sunday one of the little boys had asked him, will you be my father? Because they're seeing the love of God, maybe not anywhere else, but through Wayne. That's greatness in God's kingdom. And by the way, that was Wayne's attitude as the head of telecom at the University of Texas. How can I use my power to help others and to lift others up? And that's why they loved him. And, you know, keep calling him. He can't seem to retire. You know, Gloria McPherson helped start this church. I remember seeing her 23 years ago rolling out carpets in the movie theater for, to, to set up kids' church. But she's also a busy physician. She's a, a, a PA. And she saw a need about 15 years ago for refugees here in town who had zero medical care. And she started the Hope Medical Clinic to help provide health care. And, and by the way, you may not realize this, but your giving for 15 years has supported the Hope Medical Clinic so that doctors and nurses and others like yourself can volunteer to provide free health care for people who can't afford it. That's a part of our whole refugee network. If you want to learn more about ways you can serve with them or many other opportunities, you know, go out to gatewaychurch.com, connect, and you can, you can find out. There are all kinds of ways. And, and I could go on and on, you know, talking about people here serving students, serving the homeless through our food pantry, you know, here, uh, our, our garden to grow fresh vegetables for people in need, you guys who serve on Sunday to make a place where people can come and explore faith and meet others and get connected, those in production and out in the, the parking lot, all over. There are all kinds of people serving one another. Even networks, you know, serving singles, serving families, finding ways to bless and serve our neighbors, even in COVID. It was so cool to hear Kristen's story of how in the middle of COVID, she started a network to serve her neighbors. Listen to her story. Hi, I'm Kristen, and I've been going to Gateway for 14 years. Hi, I'm Diana. I live right next door to Kristen. I have been living here in Texas uh, for two years now. I saw you guys and your moving truck move in. Yeah, we were just wrapping up, unboxing our entire house. Kristen and her beautiful, friendly kids and family came over and knocked on our door and invited us the first night to come have dinner at their house. And you didn't accept. We were like zombies and sweating, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not the best time for her to be coming here. I was really excited. I had been praying for good neighbors who would just be on mission with us to get to know the neighbors. Like when you guys came, like God had really delivered for me on that prayer. One of the things my family loves to do is Friday nights, spend time in our cul-de-sac riding bikes and eating pizza with our neighbors. And we would get frozen pizza and just set it out on a table or order some Domino's, um, have some homebrew beer, and just invite everybody over. And Diana was really a, an amazing partner in that. We really had to think about like, how can we do this in a small way? Like, do we even do this? And if we do it, you know, who do we invite? Um, there's really some challenging times to figure out what people were comfortable with. Um, but in the end, we were able to say, you know, our mission is really loving our neighbors and bringing people along on great adventures. We just need to be consistent and we need to just show up and we'll just trust whoever comes or whatever happens. That's what God wants for us in that moment. 
And so what is it that we can just willingly give without expecting anything in return? And so Friday nights, like we're committed to just being here on the patio. We end up having quality time together. We would have like some honest conversations on the patio. We spent a lot of time in the heat and the cold, yeah, yeah. Um, all outdoors so that we felt really safe and we felt like our kids could spend some time together. And that's when we started to do every Sunday some breakfast tacos. And we would just set up the church service and we would invite all of our neighbors who may or may not go to church, who may or may not be Christian, to come over, bring a lawn chair, just sit out with us, have a breakfast taco. Diana would bring over some really good, yummy coffee, and then we would have some um, pico de gallo salsa goes with our um, the breakfast tacos. tacos. Yeah. Then everybody else felt like they had to compete, and so we had all the neighbors bringing out Indian food that was like homemade, delicious Indian food. and. It ended up bringing just neighbors who never came out of their house. We had a neighbor who came up to Diana, said she'll never come out of her house. She was very anxious. But then she turned out to be one of the people in our neighbors that came every to, week. Every week. She started, you know, making her Indian food and everybody loved it. And she just would run across the street um, to be here with us. Mm -hmm. I think people started letting their guards down and people just gravitated towards that openness that, you know, we were all here in this together. One of the things that we've loved doing, for example, is we'll have a, you know, a playlist and we'll just say, you know, what's your favorite year? Well, when did you graduate? Or, you know, what is your favorite year of music and play the top 10 from that and have people tell us like where they were when they heard those songs. And Diana loves to like dig in and say, what does that mean to you? Right. We learn a lot about people and about things that they wrestle with and you know, hard times. And if I look back before Bikes and Pizza, like a lot of my friends look just like me, came from vanilla white bread families. And now I look around and we are friends with people from around the world because we're just getting to know our neighbors. When I walk in and there are people who grew up a block from one another and didn't know about it in California. We have a family who went to the same church in Kenya. You know, our Bikes and Pizza Network has been such a blessing to us. God is doing some incredible things just because we're willing to show up on a Friday. Isn't that so cool? I mean, think about it, you know? All they did is just willing to say, how can we love and serve our neighbors in this difficult time? They start just bringing people together on Fridays. And then I don't know if you caught it, after a while when, when we were all locked down and we weren't a, even able to meet, they brought their TV out in their driveway and invited people to come watch our service on Sunday morning. And then they have brunch and have these great spiritual conversations. You know, what if the greatest things that we do are not the things the world one day will value? but the things that God says were done out of love for him and service for others. Why wouldn't we follow him into that? Well, for some of us, we say, well, I just don't have time to serve. And I get it. I mean, we're in the age of busy families. I remember when we were in the crunch years, you know, kids in dance and soccer and music, and it, we were like a nonstop taxi service, you know? And I, I, I get it. And as parents, we want our kids to develop, you know? So you want to put them in activities to develop them. But think about it. If we develop them in every way except learning to serve others, what are we developing? You know, in, in other words, if, if we help them learn to develop themselves in every way possible, but they never see us serving others, 
and, and they never think about the priority of serving others, what are we creating? Just more people who think about themselves and their own development, their own career, and their own, own, own? Is that what we want? Is that what we need more of? And, and parents, you know, our kids watch us, right? They're copying us. So what are we modeling? Are we modeling the priority of serving? You know, I, I realized this when my son-in-law sent me a, a picture that my granddaughter is copying me. You know, you just got to, you got to watch what you do. Never grow a soul patch. It's dangerous. No, but seriously, you know, I, I, I see around here something beautiful because I see parents with their kids out greeting. I see parents with their kids out serving coffee. We have tons of teens who serve uh, elementary school kids. We have families that go and, and garden together or serve in, in, uh, in the food pantry together. And that is modeling something important. You know, that loving God and serving God and serving others. It, it, it's important. It's a priority. And we make time for it. But that is another thing that some people struggle with is I just have other priorities. And that can keep us from serving. And I get it. You know, maybe you're single and if you're honest, you know, your top priority is finding Mr. or Mrs. Right. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting a relationship. But think about this. If you're spending all your time going to places obsessed with finding that right person who will one day be perfect for you and meet all your needs, and you're in places where that's what everybody's doing. They're obsessing on finding the person to meet all their needs. And then you meet a person and you date and you, you get married and, and then you try to get each other to meet all your needs. Guess what? It doesn't work. It, neither of you will be happy or satisfied. But think about this. What if you seek to start to serve others, to become the kind of person who thinks about serving others, helping others. And you get involved here in one of our serving ministries on Sunday or, or, or serving in a refugee network or hospitality or whatever. And, and, and there you're becoming the kind of person who learns to put others first, right? And serve others. And what if you meet somebody else who's becoming that kind of person and then you date and then you get married? Well, now you're thinking about how to serve and meet others' needs, you're becoming the kind of person you want to end up with. That works. I think about how many uh, singles were serving here at Gateway, met their spouse, and now they now have our family with kids, like Kenny and Susie Martin, um, the, the, uh, um, Nate and Sarah, uh, Brett and, and, and Kristen. I mean, on and on. I can think of couples who, uh, Kathleen and David, um, now, again, as I've said before, it's not dateway, all right? There's no guarantee that if you serve, you'll find your right person. But here's what I can guarantee. If you serve, you'll become the kind of person you want to marry. And like attracts like. So it's worth making a priority. And Jesus said, you'll be more blessed when you give than receive. And people always find that. They always find that, that they, they, they get into it thinking they're gonna you know, do a good thing for other people. But when you're in the right place using your gifts in, in line with what God's created you to do, it gives you more back. And the truth is, you know, most people uh, just spend their time and, and, and talents and gifts many times just prioritizing trying to make a name for themselves, right? 
And here's the irony of that. If you spend all your life trying to make a name for yourself, you'll be forgotten. You want proof of that? Just think, what is the name of your great-great-grandfather or grandmother? I mean, do you even know their names? I don't. Much less what they spent their life doing, trying to accomplish. So we can spend our whole lives trying to make a name for ourselves. The truth is we'll be forgotten unless, check this out, you use your life to love and serve God. And then he promises not one thing you do with that motivation will be forgotten. That's what Jesus promises. Look at what the scriptures say in the book of Hebrews. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. He remembers everything. And one day he promises he will reward you and he'll show you the greatest things you ever did were probably those little acts of faithfulness that nobody saw, but you did it out of love for God to help others. You're never greater. You're never more godlike than when you take the towel to serve others. And so Jesus continues. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. He returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. And very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do you understand what I've done, Jesus said? Not really. (laughs) How can we comprehend the greatest being in the universe humbling himself not only to serve, not only to heal, not only to accept and forgive, but then be rejected and lied about and betrayed and nailed to a cross to serve us in our greatest need, our forgiveness and reconciliation with God who loves us most. But that's why following Jesus means the smallest act is not too small and the greatest sacrifice is not too great when it's done to serve God because you will be blessed, Jesus promises. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do something, Jesus says. You know, relaunch your life with a posture to serve. Not a posture to serve gateway, not a posture to serve your employer, a posture to serve God who put you in your neighborhood, in your work, in this church for a reason. And he's doing something as we serve him together. And here's the thing, when we just simply posture ourselves with a willingness to serve, it's amazing what God will do through you. Just like Kristen was discovering. I remember the first time um, Kathy and I discovered this. We were actually, it was 1991, we were living in Russia. It was right after the fall of communism. We lived in St. Petersburg, Leningrad when we moved there, St. Petersburg when we came home. And there were, hyperinflation had set in. There, was, there were long, mile-long bread lines. People couldn't get enough food. And we were working at the university in St. Petersburg there. And we had met a lot of families, Russian families, who couldn't get enough food for, for their little infants or enough milk for their, uh, for their infants. And it was, really, it was really difficult. We were trying to share and do what we could, but it wasn't much. And um, 
After about five months, we went out of the country for Christmas to Switzerland, to a conference for a week. And, and we were out at dinner with some other friends who lived in St. Petersburg. And we we're having the first nice meal in five months. The first meal that wasn't cabbage and potatoes. It was like this beautiful, juicy steak and fresh vegetables. It was amazing. So I'm sitting there eating and Kathy, my wife's not eating. And we're like, well, why aren't you eating? And, and she's like, I can't eat thinking about our friends, you know, and, and the dire need they're in. And I said, you're not going to eat that? My mercy gift needed a little more development uh, than, than hers. She's always been fine-tuned there. And um, she said, I just, I can't eat this thinking about the needs of our friends and their, and their kids. We have to do something. I think God wants us to do something. And we were all like, well, what can we do? I mean, we're just a few people, right? Living in a foreign country. What could we do? But we decided, all right, we'll pray. And we sat there around the table and for the next seven to 10 minutes, we just prayed and we just basically said, okay, God, if this is really what you want, if you want us to do something, we're willing. We have no idea what to do. Put it in our mind, show us somehow. And so then after we prayed, you know, we, we, we started to make a plan of what maybe we could do while I ate Kathy's steak. No, just kidding. Uh, and, and we thought, okay, well, maybe we can raise money from the United States and maybe we could get food in Finland and truck it somehow, but how will we do that? We didn't know, but we were just like making a plan. Okay, then here's what happens. The next week we go back to our apartment in St. Petersburg. There was a message waiting for us. I kid you not. The message said, there's a C-110 military transport plane loaded with thousands of tons of food, thousands of boxes of, of uh, beans and, and rice and powdered milk that could feed a family for two to three months. And their contact fell through. They found out you live there. Could you distribute it somehow next week? And so we knew we're supposed to do this. We don't know how. Rick Schertz jumped on it. He organized about 100 college students who went and somehow got Soviet trucks and organized lines and let it, let it be known. And we were able to feed over 1,000 families in married student housing for the next three months. And then we were actually able to pull off, because of those contacts, pull off some of the, uh, another Finland food distribution as well. Think about it. God already had a plan. All he needed was us to say, yes, we're willing. And we'll step out in faith. It's the same with you. And as you just have a posture of God, I'm willing. I'm willing to use my gifts, my time, my efforts. And as we do that together as a church, you know, the, the reason that C-110 transport plane was full of food is a church was moved here in the United States to buy all that food, get it shipped over there. Their contact fell through and then they found out about us. But God uses his church, his body together. And when we're willing, he makes us the hope of the world. He meets needs. You know, if you're willing, you know, probably at your work, there are people who are married and there's a 50-50 chance they're having marriage struggles. And who's there to help? Who, where's the hope? Well, God's put you there. And, and you may feel like overwhelmed, like, oh, I can't, I can't solve their marriage problem. No, you can't, but you can be God's hands and feet, the hands and feet of his body, the church. And you just love them and care and listen to their stories. Like Kristen was talking, listen. That's how people feel love, listen. 
And then you're not alone. You're a part of a body, a church. You know, we have a marriage ministry served by volunteers whose marriages have been healed. So they understand how to lead others through healing. You can connect them to that. If the marriage doesn't survive, there'll be pain. But we have a divorce care ministry. I remember when, when Ginger, not her real name, had been unfaithful to her husband and, uh, and he had divorced her and, and she was just distraught with what she had done. So much guilt weighing her down. She was not a Christ follower. All her friends just dissed her except one woman at work who found out and moved in closer and showed her love and showed her grace. And the more she told, the more love she felt. She started coming with her to our church and then she got connected into divorce care. And through those volunteers, she came to faith, she healed, she grew, and she ended up being a leader helping others learn how to heal through divorce and through the pains of mistakes that you've made. It's what God does over and over again. Because we're a part of a body, the church, bringing hope to the world. One out of every five people struggle with an alcohol or drug addiction. What can you do? They're your neighbors. They're your, they're, they're your co-workers. Or maybe others you even meet here. Well, maybe you feel overwhelmed. That's okay. You love. You listen. And then you can connect them to our recovery ministry where they're volunteers like Tom, my good friend, who overcame a 38-year cocaine addiction. Ten years ago, he came to Christ at our church, and for about the last eight years, he's been serving as a sponsor to help others walk out of addiction as they find the power of God. See, you're not alone in it. We're in it together. So, are you willing, as we relaunch our lives, to take a towel and to put your posture before God? God, I'm here to serve you, and show me how I can serve you know, neighbors or coworkers or a part, as a part of this body, you know, so that we can be your hope to the world. Will you pray that with me? God, thank you that you surprise us so much. That you who are the greatest would humble yourself, would, would stoop the lowest, not just to become a servant among us, but one who would lay down his life for us. We can't really fathom it. But God, we do want to be more like you and not out of guilt and not out of ought to and should, but out of a sense of overwhelming love from you. Help us follow you so that you can use us together to be hope to one another and to the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.